Hey, welcome back to Whatever the Weather. I'm Katie Blake. I'm Sarah Spivey. Meteorologists. We're meteorologists. In San Antonio? Texas. Texas. Uh, welcome back. We um, are doing a fun episode. Well, mm-hmm. they're all, okay, they're all fun. But this is a, a Q&A episode because we've got a really good stash of questions that that our listeners leave us. Um, and if you've listened before, you know that we encourage you to go to ksat.com where you can not only watch the video version of this podcast, but you can also scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll find a prompt to leave a question about being meteorologists or anything you've ever wanted to know about the weather or climate or whatever it may be. Um, so we've got a really good stash of questions and we usually try to answer one each yeah. every episode. And we thought, why not knock out several and just have a, a back and forth Q&A? Don't know what these questions are going to be. They're going to come from every... <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. Um, so this is going to be a fun episode. That's what we're doing today. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when you were saying San Antonio, Texas, I, you know what I watched the other day? What? Miss Congeniality. Oh, so great. Oh my gosh. It really <laughs> is so good. And I think I was so young when it came out that I didn't realize like all of the landmarks and everything. But yeah. It was fun. It, so. It's funny to think back because I watched that a lot as a like I guess I was a preteen, maybe. Mm. Is that how oldish we would have been preteenish? Um, and now, yeah, watch it and be like, oh, I live there I now. Know. It's pretty cool. It is really cool. Um, and the reason I brought it up is because close to the timing of this podcast, you know, the question Miss Rhode Island gets. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite date? April twenty fifth. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. I have a light jacket, maybe pushing it. Well here well here we were having some rain did they ask like the anyone a local meteorologist if that was the right thing to say they should have all right let's get to the questions i'm just wondering (laughs) do your research do your research speaking of research we're jumping into these questions if you're listening and and you think of a question you've that's just been burning in the back of your mind um Head over to ksat.com. You can find this episode or any of our previous episodes. Watch the video. We love the video versions of this podcast. They're yes. so much fun. Producer Alyssa kills it in editing. Shout out, Alyssa. So Woo. good. Um, and then you can find the prompt there and ask away. All right. So I'll start us off. Question number one. This comes from Cheyenne. Cheyenne asks, where did you go to school for meteorology and what was that experience like? Do you have any recommendations for someone who wants to educate themselves mm. more about it but isn't quite ready for the commitment of school? And I think we can both kind of, I want us both to say, um, I went to, my story can turn into a long one, so I'm going to summarize. So I went to Texas Tech University for my undergraduate degree. Now, they have a great graduate program in meteorology, so master's, PhD, but they don't have a true undergraduate program, and I don't really know why. Hmm. Um, I wish they, I wish they did, but they, they don't. So... I went there as a freshman thinking I wanted to do weather, but I didn't know for sure that I wanted to do broadcast meteorology. Once I did an internship and figured that out, did a little bit of research and realized that if I wanted to be qualified to be a broadcast meteorologist, and even if I wanted to do anything beyond that, certifications and things like that, I was going to be missing some coursework coming out of my undergraduate degree. So I went and got a master's from Mississippi State, and that was two additional years, and that helped fill 
the gaps Mm -hmm. I had in my coursework Mm -hmm. coming out of my bachelor's degree, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. (laughs) And Sarah took the, uh, the, the more normal route, I would say. I went to Texas A&M University, AWOOP, Gigamaggies, and they have a great uh, undergraduate program for atmospheric sciences. They have a radar on top of their building. It's really cool. And I really appreciated your question too about uh, if you don't want to do the commitment to school, Mm -hmm. you know, where can, if you're just a weather enthusiast, where can you learn about weather? Well, this podcast tells you a little bit about the weather. And then also, also though, there's plenty of really great books out there. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of our beginning meteorology textbooks are actually quite fun to read. Yeah. I remember like loving reading my textbook. <laughs> they have a lot of, I still have one and I think it's, oh, and now I can't remember. I can see it's sitting in our living room. And it's something, it's some, something meteorology is in the title. That's well, shocking. If, yeah. If um, you find something online, if you just Google like yeah. beginning meteorology textbooks, if you find something online, want to verify it with us, you can email us. Too. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them have a lot of photos and mm-hmm. that's not to like dumb it down, but it's just helpful because a lot of these atmospheric processes that we talk about, you have to see it. Yeah. Um, so Yes, there's a lot of books. I was also going to suggest, I mean, Google and YouTube now. Yes. Double check who you're getting your info from, especially on YouTube. (laughs) Come on. So (laughs) just like double check. But there are a lot of even broadcast meteorologists that do things on YouTube, explanations, things like that. Um, Any any content that comes from NOAA or the National Weather Service, all of that is solid, good stuff. Um, they have a YouTube channel where you can learn about different things about weather. And then if you, if you're feeling more comfy and want to get in the weeds a little bit more, there's this great website, Habe's Hints. Yes. Habe's Hints. Um, this is from him. His name is Jeff Habe and he's a meteorologist and he's so smart. Yeah. I mean, so smart. And so he's put together this whole website that has, explanations and like lessons about everything you could ever want to know. I mean, sometimes even when I need a refresher on a topic that I haven't spoke about for a while or a weather phenomenon that I'm not used to, I'll go to Habe Sense. Everything from like- Check it out. Temperature to vorticity advection, which is like way- Way like two years, two years deep into like school, maybe even more than that. Um, So there's some kind of complicated stuff on there, but that's a good place to start too. And yeah, just Google, just check where you're getting the info from, but there's so much out there now. Great question, Cheyenne. Thank you so much. So we've, we had three questions (laughs) sent to us about this specific topic that I'm going to talk about. Saharan dust. Oh, okay. And I'm not, it's almost that time of year again. And and I'm, (laughs) oh, and our producer, Alyssa asked about it too. So we're finally getting to it. This is from Alyssa too. I am so ready for you to answer everyone's questions about this. Yes. So that if, when anyone asks this coming year, when it starts to come in, I'm just going to send them whatever the weather, weather podcast, this marker right here. Okay. So, uh, this is from Linda M for her daughter. Chelsea M, which I thought was so cute. So her, oh, her her granddaughter has a question about the Saharan dust that comes here in the summer. She wants you to explain why it does not come any other time of year. Thanks for explaining this to her. She wanted only you two to answer this. (laughs) Okay. So 
Uh, to answer your question first, Linda and Chelsea, the Saharan dust, it comes in the summertime because there is a high pressure system that sets up over Bermuda. It's called the Bermuda High. And air moves in a clockwise fashion around a high pressure system. And it picks up that dust, the Saharan dust, and it sends it all the way across the Atlantic to to Texas to the US and it gets caught up in the trade winds and those kinds of things as well. And sh- why does this not happen any other time of the year? Well, it's because the Bermuda High is the most prominent and in the right position during the summertime. Mm-hmm. So, that's a great question. Next question from Al Williams. Hi Sarah and Katie, I live in Phoenix, Arizona and I've never been to South Texas. I hear a lot about the Saharan dust. What is it and can it be dangerous? First of all, Al, thanks for listening to us all the way out in Phoenix. So, as I mentioned, the Saharan dust, it's literally sand and dust from the Saharan desert, Sahara desert. And it can be dangerous for those who are particularly sensitive to mm-hmm. it. It's not necessarily dangerous for the greater population as a whole because it it happens so frequently and it's happened ever since the beginning of time, <laughs> you know, for South Central Texas. So it's not dangerous, but it can create some allergy-like symptoms. You know, mm-hmm. you get itchy eyes, you get a scratchy throat, more so then not, and that's only when it's like really strong or so than not, the only thing that you notice is, is an orangish hue on the horizon. That's why sometimes the sunsets in the summer look fiery and beautiful and, and that kind of stuff. So it's a great question there, Al. And then to round out the Saharan dust questions, we've got one from John P and he says, can storms or depressions, namely hurricanes, have any effect on the dust coming in from the Saharan desert? Uh, it's the opposite way, uh, John. So instead of storms and depressions having an impact on the Saharan dust, the Saharan dust has an impact on tropical systems. And that impact is it inhibits their their growth mm-hmm. because oftentimes with the Saharan dust, it's a little drier. And so it, it prevents that rich, rich moisture and those updrafts uh, from really getting going and, and thus hurricanes starting. So if we know there's going to be a fairly thick plume of Saharan dust across the Atlantic, uh, it, that often happens during hurricane season. We know that the hurricane uh, for uh, hurricane uh, activity around that time is going to be relatively low. Yeah. The, yeah, the dust, it's just always, I think people are just fascinated with it. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the last few years, because now we can see it on, From satellite. on satellite yeah. and that's it's really beautiful. cool. And we can almost in a way forecast it. And we can based on how strong the Bermuda high is. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. And that's, it's helpful. And I think people are interested because it's like, it's coming from another continent. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, Africa is far away. Indeed. But the atmosphere is awesome and can do a lot of cool things. That's true. All right. We knocked out the Saharan dust questions three in one. Boom. Told you I was going to be from all over the place today. All right. Question number three comes from Cody. Cody asks, what's the hardest thing about being a meteorologist? Great question, Cody. And I think the hardest thing is getting people to understand that meteorology is a science and we're not at a place yet with this science that it's going to be 100% correct all the time. Yep. Um, I think people, I mean, we want, we want things to be right. Correct. Like when I go pick up my order from Target, I want to get the right thing. You do. You know, when they roll down your window and they put it in there, 
I want it to be the right thing. You want to get the non-fat milk in your Starbucks coffee <laughs> exactly. instead of the soy. Can you imagine? So, uh, so you want things to be right. People want their weather forecast to be right. I get yeah. it. But this is a, a science, which means we've got a lot of variables at play and a forecast is not always going to be right 100% of the time. That's just the the nature of nature and the nature of this science. Mm-hmm. And so I think people demand perfection in the palm of their hand right away when it comes to the weather. And it's just not that simple. And we're just not there yet. So I think that maybe the hardest thing is trying to, to manage expectations mm-hmm. with people sometimes. Because mm-hmm. um, if we say there's a chance for rain, I think – in some people's minds, that means it's definitely going to rain. Yeah. And then when it doesn't, they're disappointed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a great, great point there, Katie. I think with that being said, you know, the science of meteorology has improved oh. incredibly. Oh, yeah. Now we can know fairly certain what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. No, yeah. Yes. Whereas before, it was kind of a crapshoot. Oh, and thank you for saying that. I for, I have this cute little cartoon. Oh, uh, um, and this <laughs> this came from blog.asmartbear.com. Nice. Not sure what that is. But this little cartoon was just too cute, this guy. It says, and now the seven-day forecast. And so the first day, it says, probably. The second day, okay. The third day, maybe. Iffy. And by day seven, it's like random guess. Random guess. That's true. <laughs> um, and that's not – we don't just make a random guess no. on, on day seven. But I thought that was a really good example of, you know, 24, even 48 hours out, we feel really good about a forecast totally. there. Because technology and science has advanced over the past several decades such that, you know, it, it's much more accurate 24, 48 hours mm-hmm. out. But even now in 2022, as you get to day seven – it really starts to go yeah. off the tracks there. Um, and so I thought that was a really funny example. I love that. I can't yeah. wait for people to see that. It made me laugh. <laughs> Who does that look like on our weather team? It looks like Adam Castle. Adam Castle. But Adam has more hair, so I'm going to give him that. <laughs> love you, Adam. Thanks, okay. Cody, for the question. <laughs> All right. So next up, we've got uh, Myrick J. Sorry, Myrick. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Why does high pressure, heat high, or the big blue H seem to almost always be over Texas or in the vicinity, making our weather so hot? Why doesn't it go somewhere else since it just floats all over the place? Okay, that's a good question. So I'm assuming it's because this question was sent in to us over the summer months. So this is about the summer heat high that settles over Texas. And the first thing I want to address is, why doesn't it go somewhere else since it floats all over the place? Uh, I would, I can totally see why you would think that a high pressure system would just be like a blob of air that's floating over over <laughs> Texas. That's what it looks like on our weather graphics. But really, a high pressure system is a dynamic system of sinking air. So it's not like it's floating all over the place and can just go anywhere. It's it's pretty much staying put. It's sinking air. What it takes is it takes a big punch of the jet stream or the thing that makes the weather happen to knock that high pressure system out of the area. And with, since you're, you have sinking air with a high pressure system, you don't have rising air uh, that produces showers and storms. So with sinking air, you get uh, warmer, hotter weather when a high pressure is over in the summertime. In the wintertime, when a high pressure system is over, you actually get colder weather. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, it does seem like they would. Ju- they're just kind of like blobs. Yeah, like flubber. Yeah. My turn. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Unless right. you want to talk more about high pressure. Stuff. Uh, no, that was great. Okay. Um. All right. Last question. This comes from Luke S. And he asked, "How did tornadoes form?" Cool. And we could be here all day, but we won't. Um. All right. So to have a tornado, pretty much got to have a supercell thunderstorm Mm. these are the most intense types of thunderstorms and these are the ones that produce tornadoes very very large hail and these are the storms that if you've ever googled storm you would probably see a picture of one of these storms they almost um especially in environments like west texas or the plains where it's really flat and there are no trees they almost look like spaceships in the sky They're massive. So you've got to have a supercell thunderstorm. And basically a supercell is a rotating storm. And that plays a part in how a tornado would form. Now, another thing that's happening with supercells, they've got really strong updrafts in them, which is air going up. That plays a part in producing the really large hail. Um, But those updrafts form a horizontal column of air. So I always think updraft and then starts to kind of go like this like a tube of air like a sushi roll yeah yeah sushi roll um so at the same time as those updrafts are forming this horizontal column of air the storm is also rotating so you've got that horizontal column of air being turned vertically i wish y'all could and y'all can see what (laughs) katie's doing here so watch the video so so then it it's like this and that's how scientists and we believe that tornadoes yeah. most typically form. Mm-hmm. Um, so think of just a sushi roll normally on the table and then flip it up. Sushi roll that gets flipped up. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's very complicated. And there's a lot that we don't know about tornadoes and how they form and why some last a long time and, and why some don't. And there are some supercells that don't produce tornadoes. Are you okay? Yeah, I just bumped myself. <laughs> there are some supercells that don't produce tornadoes. Yeah. Um, and it, it also depends on the atmosphere that the storm is in, on whether you're going to have a tornado or not. The more helicity that's in the atmosphere, that's basically rotation or a storm's ability to rotate or turn, that's going to increase the likelihood of a tornado. So that's, uh, and we have a graphic here that we'll put up that kind of shows my little sushi roll tubes, although someone did it a lot better. But um, yeah, that in a nutshell is how tornadoes form. Awesome. Well, this has been a fun kind of uh, shorter episode, but we wanted to get <laughs> some answers to your questions. And more more importantly, we want more questions because we love to answer them uh, during our podcast. So mm-hmm. again, if you have any questions, you can ask them on uh, the whatever the weather ksat.com page. So please do so. And thank you guys again for your support. Rate us if you can on uh, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a little feedback we'd appreciate it yeah thanks for listening thanks for watching and remember no matter uh what weather comes your way gotta weather weather the the weather weather, whatever whatever the the weather weather. (laughs) peace out
Cold cases, murders, abductions, they're stories that intrigue us, keep us asking questions. I'm KSAT reporter Lee Waldman, and along with court reporter Erica Hernandez, we are digging into true crime cases in our own backyard. It's KSAT's newest podcast, South Texas Crime Stories. We're opening back up stories we've covered in real time to talk with you all about it. You can listen on Apple Podcast and Spotify or click on the South Texas Crime Stories tab on KSAT.com. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Come on this journey with us as we dive into the most infamous cases across our area.